hard to put these in priority, but I, I, at least one obstacle I think for Christians getting married is they somehow think that they won't face some of the same problems that unbelievers face. Namely, I'm a selfish, sinful person. And just getting married to a Christian woman and her marrying a Christian man doesn't mean that we're not going to face some of the same struggles that unbelieving families face. Welcome to the Scripture and Plain Reason Podcast. An engaging podcast where we affirm the authority and the clarity of Scripture. My name is Ryan. And my name is Brian. All right, listeners, welcome back. We have a fun episode getting back to you asked and we listened, and now we're answering. Questions have been submitted. We're, we're definitely going to go through a few questions, and this Q&A will likely take a couple of episodes, which is good. But Brian, let's do a little catching up. I know you got a big trip coming up tomorrow. Yeah, we're recording here on a Friday, and we leave, God willing, tomorrow. One o'clock, we meet at the church. About uh, 26 of us from East Brandywine are going to Israel and Jordan. We'll be gone from tomorrow, the 4th, until the 18th, so two full weeks. I am very excited. Never been to Israel before. I'm told that once you go to Israel, you never read your Bible quite the same. I'm sure, yeah. It's kind of like reading your Bible in HD. Mm -hmm. I remember when I was a kid, um, one Saturday morning, we were living in Mississippi, and I knew my dad went out late on a Friday night, but didn't know what he was doing. He came home that Friday night while we were asleep, and he had bought a color TV. So when we got up on Saturday morning, we were very excited because we got to watch all of our favorite cartoons in color. The only reason I tell you that story is I'm told that going to the Holy Land makes you or helps you read your Bible as though it's in color instead of black and white. So I'm excited about being able to read my Bible in color. Nice. We talked about this. I'm doing the chronological reading and I get to certain spots where it's like, and this pillar was put in place and is there to this day. And I've, obviously it was to this day as to when the, that part of the Bible was written, but I wonder, is it still there today? Yeah. Like actually today. And, uh, it would be really cool to be able to go there and, and see. So I'm hoping to do that too one day. Good. And so Barry Kaiser is our leader. Uh, he and his wife, Jean, uh, came to our church. I think during COVID is when we first met them. They're jewels of folks. You would not know this. And I don't think he's ashamed of it in any way. So I'm going to go ahead and announce it on air. But uh, he is going to turn 90 this year. Wow. You would never know it. He yeah. is a spark plug. Yep. Plays the piano. He's done that for a couple of our Christmas concerts. Yep. Um, he's just a, he's a go-getter. Anyway, he's taken or led, he and Gene have led, I think, eight of these trips before. Hmm. And so I kind of ask him, would you consider coming out of retirement and leading one more trip? And you could kind of train me. And he said, okay, that's the deal. I'll train you or I'll work with you so that you can I'll lead these trips in the future. So hopefully nice. we can go together and maybe record an episode together. That would be really In Israel. Cool. Wouldn't that be cool? That would be really cool. On location. Yes. Scripture and plain reason. Well, we're going to have like maybe an interim step to that. 
So on Tuesday, which this will air Monday, this episode. So if you're listening to this, Brian is already in Israel. But the following day, you and I are going to hop on and do an interview through our online um, casting platform. And we're going to talk about how it's been for the first couple of days of you being there. And then we'll also set up what's to come over the course of the next week after that. That's going to be fun. Yeah. It'll be late for me compared to you, but it'll be fun. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I'm excited about that. So yeah, we leave tomorrow and um, you got some traveling going on too. I think it's more work related. Yeah. And so we're, we're doing that recording Tuesday. I'm going to have to scramble a bit that night to try to edit and get that episode ready because the following for, I'll be gone for the whole week following. So I leave Wednesday for work, come home the following Wednesday, which I really cannot stand doing the over the weekend trips. Uh, I just miss the family too much. I consider doing a red eye home Friday, get home Saturday fly back out Sunday night, but that just might be a little too much. Oh, that's a brutal schedule. Yeah. All right. So Brady retiring for good. Well, it's hard to say, right? I mean, last time it was 40 days, maybe 41 this time before he's back out to San Francisco, because it seems like that's where he ought to be going to finish this wonderful career. That's where he grew up. He idolized Joe Montana, Mm -hmm. who some would argue is the GOAT and not Brady. I don't think that's really a valid argument. I would say Montana, I don't think he lost the Super Bowl. And Brady has lost the Super Bowl. So I I think you can make an argument that Joe Montana was a better Super Bowl quarterback, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. But I think Brady is the GOAT. He's the greatest of all time on about every metric. And um, 23 years in the National Football League is incredible. If nothing else, because he played so incredibly long. And yes, he has a ridiculous amount of Super Bowls, fantastic playoff quarterback. I don't necessarily know that he had the greatest talent from a just pure skills perspective. He had a strong arm. He was really accurate, but obviously he couldn't move around as much. And Well, yeah. I mean, he always had this chip on his shoulder because he was drafted in the sixth round. Mm -hmm. I mean, so many quarterbacks went before him that had what you were talking about. Mm -hmm. Some of those kind of what we call intangibles. Yeah. He's going to be great. Um, no one really said that about Tom Brady. Right. And I think that was part of his motivation mm-hmm. because, you know, I was drafted in the sixth round. And yeah, so I think he's done. There was a little part of me that uh, was hoping maybe he'd come back to New England for, you know, one more year. But I'm starting to really think Mac Jones is going to do better now that we've got an offensive coordinator, not a defensive coordinator <laughs> who's playing like he's our offensive coordinator. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. You know, it's funny. We have this basketball chat going on, and I think your son and a couple others, uh, I think Alex as well, who's a Patriots fan, they were talking about Brady retiring. And I think Aiden said something like, or Alex said, oh, I was only eight years old when Brady played his first game. And then Aiden was like, well, I was negative eight. I wasn't even born yet. (laughs) And I was like, I think, Aiden, that puts your dad at 24, 25 or something like that. I'm confused. Does that mean that you became a Patriots fan that late in life? Okay, so you're going to try to take a jab at me. Well, that's an easy explanation, okay? Let me just start with the beginning real fast. Okay. I became a Pittsburgh Steelers fan because my brother introduced me to football. He didn't become as big a fan as I did Mm -hmm. later on, but 
He introduced me to the Pittsburgh Steelers and Terry Bradshaw and Franco Harris and Mean Joe Green. And, you know, I, I became a huge fan of the Steelers mm-hmm. back when they were winning Super Bowls against the Dallas Cowboys. And then I've always been a Clemson fan. And William Perry, Refrigerator Perry, went from Clemson to the Chicago Bears. I became a Bears fan for a little while. And uh, there wasn't a football team that was associated with South Carolina. Sure. I mean, the Panthers didn't come until I was in college. And the Falcons, they're too far away. So I never really had a team. Come to New England, and everybody's a New England fan. And Drew Bledsoe was their quarterback, and I didn't like Drew Bledsoe. I thought he kind of walked up to the huddle when they were behind. He didn't seem to have a fire in his belly. And... I was like, I can't, I cannot get behind this team. Mm-hmm. And I was watching Pete Carroll coach them, and his way of trying to bring unity was taking them all bowling. And I was like, this is not football. <laughs> Come on. So, so then after 9-11 against the New York Jets at MetLife Stadium, Bledsoe was hit, knocked out of the game. And you can watch this video. Yeah, of course you can. But when you turn the video and you hear, I think it's Nance saying, you know, we've got uh, Tom Brady Seventh from Michigan coming in. He had a pretty good preseason. And I started watching game after game after game after game, watching Tom Brady. That's what convinced me to be a fan. Hmm. Before they won the Super Bowl, uh, then they had that big snow game against the Raiders where in the playoffs, Vinatieri, yeah. he, he clears yeah. off a spot, yeah. makes the field goal. I was in um, college then. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So that's how it happened. That was 2001. And I never looked back. Yeah. And then all my kids were born in New England, so. And they became fans, so that, that makes sense. We named our dog Brady. I mean, it, it, that's where we're at. Yeah. But you still are a Pats fan, not just a Brady fan. Correct. Right? Correct. Okay. I, I've been cheering for the Pats, and I cheered for the Pats when they played the Buccaneers, and Brady was the quarterback. Okay. I felt like I was, it was very mixed emotions on that game, but yeah. um, no, I, I'm a I'm a lifer, I think, on the Pats. You know, I can't imagine ever transitioning to the Eagles, but they do have a really good team. And frankly, I hope they win the Super Bowl, you know, because I pastor so many Eagles fans. I really want what's best for them. It's totally selfless. You're a better man than I. (laughs) (laughs) You're not caring for our people like that, are you? Uh, I struggle with the Eagles only because I'm not a fan of the Eagles and I live in Eagle Town. So it's just, it's hard to hear about them. Let me ask you something. One last thing on this football thing, and we'll have to move on. But is there any part of you that's a little envious that Tua took over for Hertz at Alabama, Mm -hmm. and now Hertz is taking them to the Super Bowl? I wouldn't say envious. I think they're different quarterbacks. And I think Tua just thrived in the Alabama system, and Jalen Hurts didn't. And Jalen Hurts has now found a system and has ridiculous weapons with A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith. And I I think it's just a perfect fit for him. And I don't think he was a bad quarterback at Alabama. I just think Tua was the perfect system quarterback for Nick Saban, and and that's why it worked out. So I see. And, you know, you just think, too, that Carson Wentz, five years ago, everybody was like, okay, Carson Wentz, Carson Wentz, Carson Wentz. And now you look back at it, and Carson Wentz is both of his backups, Nick Foles and Jalen Hurts, have led the team to Super Bowls, and Carson really never did. Even though he has a ring, but yeah. Yeah, it's it's just kind of like he fell off once he got that injury. Mm -hmm. And I actually liked Carson. Yeah, but he's a believer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
So, well, we'll see. Yeah. Uh, I guess just to uh, close out the NFL season for 2022-23, Dolphins made the playoffs. Dolphins made a first-round exit. Uh, they played really, really dif- tough against the Bills and with their third-string quarterback. And I'm excited for new year, new defensive coordinator, a lot of uh, hope that Tua can come back and be healthy from these concussions. All right. Well, we spent entirely too much time catching up. Yeah. And I know some of our listeners are going, please stop. Please stop. (laughs) Okay. So if you fast forward to 1542 or whatever, you can just get to the good stuff. Exactly. So we have a bunch of questions. I promise our listeners the next catch up will be much, much shorter. And we'll get through a bunch more questions in the second episode, but maybe we get through two here today. So let's start with this, Brian, and maybe both of us can take this a bit, but let's start with you. By the way, we don't have any audio messages this time. So I I do want to encourage our listeners, if you can submit an audio question, that is really fun to incorporate that audio into our episodes. Absolutely. So if you know my cell phone number, you know Ryan's cell phone number, or if you want to go to the website, actually the uh, scriptureandplainreason.com, you can actually go down to the contact section and put a little link there to an audio voice note. So you can do it a few ways. Definitely. All right, Brian, what are the biggest obstacles that Christians face today in marriage? Biggest obstacles that Christians face in marriage? I think the first thing I would say, we're actually going to celebrate 25 years of marriage this year. Praise God. Becky and I. And Becky had a marvelous idea that we would, over the course of the year, we would have 25 nights out. We just spent two of those uh, last weekend, we had a marvelous time nice. at the Glassburn Inn. Mm-hmm. I know you've been there. Yeah, I think you guys recommended it to it. It was so good. Great place. We had a great time. I think the, the biggest obstacles might be, it's hard to put these in priority, but I, I, at least one obstacle, I think, for Christians getting married is they somehow think that they won't face some of the same problems that unbelievers face. Mm. Namely, I'm a selfish, sinful person. And just getting married to a Christian woman and her marrying a Christian man doesn't mean that we're not going to face some of the same struggles that unbelieving families face. I also think that sometimes we think if you've got two Christians that are married, that makes a Christian marriage. Not necessarily, um, because I can be a Christian and my wife can be a Christian, but we can live like we're not at home, Mm -hmm. and we really don't have a Christian marriage. And a Christian marriage is about realizing that two sinners, saved by God's grace, but still sinful, um, are facing challenges. And they face challenges with their flesh, the world, and the devil. I face challenges with selfishness. I don't want to love her like Christ loves the church. There are times where she doesn't want to respect me. And um, so pushing back against this idea that when Christians get married, they all of a sudden have this wonderful, blissful, hallmark music in the background marriage. Actually, there are moments where, you know, things are tense, things are sinful, and those have to be addressed biblically. And the best way to address those biblically is to confess the sin to the Lord, confess my sin to my bride, ask her forgiveness, and continue to work through. The other one I would mention would be um, unrealistic expectations, that you get married and you've got this idea of what marriage is going to be. And even as a Christian, if I'm not careful, I could put marriage in a place where no woman could hold the weight of what I'm asking her to provide for me. 
Um, That's good. And it can be yeah. idolatry. You yeah. know, I, I, I've got this idea almost an apocalyptic. I think that's what uh, Tim and Kathy Keller call the apocalyptic view of marriage, that this is going to be somehow like a utopia. Mm-hmm. And all that I've ever wanted, all that I've ever needed, everything's going to be satisfied. And actually, my only satisfaction is in Christ, and my wife's only satisfaction is in Christ. I can never provide what she needs in her soul to the extent that that Christ can, not even close. And I also think on a practical way, it's important to talk about your expectations in marriage, because when I do premarital counseling, I often tell them, let's go ahead and talk about what you're expecting marriage is going to be like, because you have expectations. And if you don't tell your partner what those are, your husband or wife to be, you're going to set them up. You're going to set yourself up for disappointment because the husband to be or the wife to be don't know what those expectations are. So oftentimes they can't meet them. And if you had been clear before you got married, hey, here's what I envision marriage is going to be like. I wish Becky and I had done some of that. We didn't do hardly any of that. I never imagined that my wife's view of when we laid down at night right before we went to sleep, her view was that we would lay there and have nice pillow talk for lengthy amount of time. And when I go horizontal, I go immediately to sleep. <laughs> I mean, I'm just like comatose. It's something about laying there and I'm just gone. And so this idea that we can lay there and carry on a heavy, maybe a, a detail, we working through a problem moment has been brought tension in our marriage at times when we were first married because Becky had an expectation that we would have pillow talk. So how, I many, had an ex- how many times have you fallen asleep mid-conversation? I can't count them. <laughs> and it takes a few days for me to get out of the hole after that because I mean, now, now, thankfully, Becky understands me better and I understand her better. Mm-hmm. She understands that when I do lay horizontal, something kicks in mm-hmm. and it's, it's almost out of my control. Yeah. So we have to have those pillow talks without my head on the pillow. That's great. I'll just share that complacency can be an issue, I think, in the Christian marriage and frankly, in any marriage. And I'll raise my hand, this feeling sometimes of just, Nikki and I talk about this, this feeling of almost being like a roommate to your partner as opposed to a partner and passing each other by without really acknowledging the fact that we are husband wife we are one and god brought this union together mm-hmm. me showing affection to my wife from time to time more often than just giving her a kiss and saying i love you when i leave the house uh, i think that's really important cuz it demonstrates that love that god created her to desire and i you mentioned this the the and it's so biblical the the love and respect uh, circle that too often we feel disrespected, therefore we take our love away from our wife or our wife doesn't feel love from us and end up disrespecting us. And that cycle can just be get so out of hand for husband, husbands and wives. And that's not to also to say that husbands shouldn't respect their wives or, lo- or wives shouldn't love their husbands, but as the Bible says, we are wired in a certain way. And our language is respect. Women's language is to be loved. And so I just think trying to get that cycle back in a good order is so important to a healthy marriage and, and especially a healthy Christian marriage. But it's hard because 
Nikki and I will be married next year, 20 years. And 20 years is a long time. And I love her to death. And I love her more than I did when I first met her. But your marriage changes over time. It does. And accepting that change and realizing how to adapt to that change is really important. Good stuff. And and I, th- I think you, exactly what you just said, our li- our marriages go through seasons, don't they? Mm-hmm. And some of those seasons are attached to where our children are at and their different stages of growth and independence and struggle. I mean, you and I both have gone through this and there's a sense in which when we go through the struggles with our children together, that it brings you closer in some ways, but in other ways it can make things brittle, it can make things challenging. The possibility for misunderstanding and not seeing eye to eye um, is like exponentially increases. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like we're on the other side of a season of intense testing like that. Maybe we're about to enter another one, I don't know. But I noticed those two dynamics that in some ways I never appreciated her more because it was like a a place of safety when we could be together and talk through what we were going through. But at the other side of it is it, it became consuming. So what we were going through with our child, it was all we ever talked about. So, so, so we didn't talk about us. We didn't talk about anything fun. It, it was always, whenever we had time alone, that's all we talked about. And I remember us both having to self-correct and say, you know what, this isn't healthy. Mm-hmm. Every time we're together, this is dominating our conversation. We got to talk about it. Um, but we're not even talking about any of the other kids, any of the other issues of our life, the fun, the sad. Mm-hmm. Uh, it became all consuming. And I'm assuming it was both sides too, right? It wasn't just Becky not wanting to talk about that the whole time or just you wanting. It was both of you that were so engrossed in the situation because we had the same exact issue. Yeah, yeah. It was sometimes like that. I found my coping mechanism, I guess I would say, is different than my wife's. You know, sometimes the way I deal with a trial, and it's not, it's not a faith-based, godly trust that God has been developing in my life, but my default is to kind of like grit my teeth, you know, I'll get her done. Just push just through. Push through. <laughs> yeah. Okay, what are we up against? Once yeah. I've got my mind, I understand what I'm up against, I'm just going to push harder. Mm-hmm. We'll get up earlier, stay up later, we'll get through this. And my, my wife needs to verbally process things. Mm-hmm. So... I found that times she needed to verbally process and I didn't want to talk about it because it brought more pain to my heart because I started to think about what I was actually in. And at times I felt a little bitter about what I was in. So I, I do think these seasons of our marriage, they change in the way we see our our spouse differently, the way we see ourselves and the way we can be selfish and uncaring about what they're going through and how they're processing it. We did something when we were away, and we're going to try to do it each time we're away this year. But we found, I think it's 50 to maybe 100 questions that you can ask your spouse that just get you talking about avenues that we don't ever talk about or we rarely talk about. So on this occasion, at each meal, we would pull some of the questions out or we were taking a hike and we'd take some of the questions. And uh, they were really good. Like one question was, that she asked me, then I asked her, was if you could relive one year in our married life, what would it be? What year? Okay, we've got 25 now. So so which year or, or approximate year? What, what space, what season would you relive over? 
Now, that could be taken two ways. Maybe I would want to relive a year because I'd like to do it differently. I'd like a redo. Mm. Or maybe it was so good, I'd like to return to it. Experience it it again, yeah. Yeah. The the funniest one, though, was I thought. It was funny and uh, wonderfully complimentary to my wife. But she asked the question. The question was, if your house is burning down and you you can save everybody's life in the family, but you can only get one item out of the house... What are you going to get? So what are you going to go in there to get? So I, I thought about it. And I was like, part of me was like, okay, what should I answer? Better be careful here, you mm-hmm. know? Okay, all the lives are saved. Um, what what should I be saying? Picture um, album. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, the first thing about mine was my computers. <laughs> I was like, right. I'm going to go in and get the computers. It Make sure I got my wallet, my phone. I mean, because life is laptop, so much involved yeah. in these things, right? It's totally. But I said photo album, I think, and I assumed she would too, but she didn't. She said, I would go in and get my John MacArthur signed study Bible. (laughs) It's like, oh man, you win the Miss Spiritual Award. Well, years ago, I got to go to the Shepherds Conference with some other pastors when we were in New Hampshire. And that was at a time, talk about seasons. There was a time where Becky didn't like me to travel ever. And it, it was it was almost a real clingy, and she'll say this, mm-hmm. when I would leave, I needed to call her every night, I needed to text her multiple times if we had phones. Now she's a different season. She's like, you're leaving? <laughs> oh, this is good. Um, not as many dinners will have to be made, you know. So there was a time where she was a lot more clingy. So I wanted to go to the Shepherds Conference, wonderful conference out at Grace Community Church where Dr. MacArthur's a pastor. Mm-hmm. About 4,000 pastors will be there. And she made a deal with me. She said, okay, you can go if you promise to buy me a John MacArthur study Bible and get him to sign it. Okay. That's a lot I can of pressure. Do I'll do it. I'll do it. So I had to watch him because he, he's gotten pretty elderly. And at the time, I think he was 73. He's over 80 now. Yeah. Um, but before the evening service, he would kind of walk out from the back. And I saw it two or three nights in a row. So I already bought the Bible and I was waiting at the end of the aisle where that door he'd come through each night, and here he came. So I go up to him with a pen with my John MacArthur study Bible, and I said, Dr. MacArthur, it's a pleasure to meet you. I said, but I need to ask a favor of you. I said, it's been a, such a blessing being at this conference, but I had to make an agreement with my wife in order to be able to come. The agreement was I had to buy her one of your study Bibles, and you had to sign it. Would you please sign this Bible for me? He said, I'd love to. So he says, Becky, best regards or something. He gives her a Bible verse and signs it. So that's the one thing she would go in the house to get. If all the family was saved, her John MacArthur study Bible. Well played, Becky. (laughs) Well played. I love it. And you said photo album. (laughs) I said photo album. You know, I wasn't spiritual, but at least I was familial. And I wasn't thinking about my computer because if I'd said my computer, I probably would have got slapped. Yeah. Here we are on an anniversary date and she would have gone, your computer. Or flat screen TV (laughs) or tablet. Well, she actually has a piano in our piano room that she had as a little girl that her parents bought her. And we now have it in our home. Wow. So she actually thought about the piano. And I was like, you think I'm going to get that piano out? <laughs> the house is burning down and I'm trying to get the piano out. Oh, but great. all that to say, those questions were a lot of fun. And I can't wait till we go through some more. It was an avenue that we haven't enjoyed for quite some time. 
And both of us said that to one another. We haven't asked each other questions like we did when we were dating. Yeah, so true. I mean, and and actually we did it for the first few years of marriage when we didn't have any kids. But now every chance we get to talk, it's almost always about the kids. Mm-hmm. So this is a book that you have? No, you can actually get them online. Maybe I could put the link on the um, Facebook for our scripture and plain reason. Yeah. But yes, yeah, 50 questions or so to ask your spouse. Now, now some of them are intimate, um, yeah. but uh, they are for married couples. So. Yeah, but sure. they're all good. Yeah, I love it. Uh, I'm going to have to borrow that idea. Yeah. All right. Well, we got through one question. We'll get to a bunch of other questions next time. Maybe we'll try to speed through those other ones a little more quickly. Before we wrap today, though, Brian, can we maybe just give a preview of what's coming for Scripture and Plain Reason over the next maybe month or two? Yeah, I'd be glad to tell you what I think we've got planned. Some things change before we are able to go through with it, but it looks like uh, we're going to have a couple episodes, hopefully, either from uh, my trip to Israel or when I get back. We'll do kind of like some highlights from the Holy Land. So a couple of those episodes. Um, We'll have another one of these episodes with some Q&A. And then we're going to be able to interview Holly Stratton, who wrote a book called Rooted in Grace. It's a great book just about God's grace, not only in saving us, but in strengthening us and and making us sufficient for all that he calls us to do. Um, Holly has been a, a real friend to Becky and myself, and we're looking forward to interviewing her. And uh, so that will be after the highlights from the Holy Land. And uh, then... Um, we've talked about um, some answering hard questions and uh, hard questions that unbelievers may ask or believers may ask. Questions like, why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? Why is there suffering? Would God really send somebody to an eternal hell? Um, how could a loving God do that? Is Jesus Christ really both God and man? Um, maybe those questions are similar questions. We're calling it hard questions, mm-hmm. and hopefully we'll have good biblical answers. Yeah, I know we talked about this, and I threw out some ideas on questions. And my original thought was uh, baby believers, new believers in our church potentially, or even outside of our church that could really get a, a biblical answer around some of these hard questions. And you turned it around and said, I think strong long-term believers can get a lot of a lot of knowledge and information out of how to answer some of these apologetics related questions. Absolutely because when Satan causes and his number one tool in our life not only as unbelievers he tries to cover our eyes lest we believe the gospel as unbelievers but his number one tool after that is to try to deceive us cause us to doubt God's word. Remember what he did to Eve? Has God really said this? Mm, yep. And has God really said is, to me, one of the number one ways uh, Satan causes us to uh, live in something less than confidence in God's Word and confidence that what God has said is actually true. And so I think this is going to be helpful to what you said, unbelievers or perhaps baby Christians, new Christians. I think it's going to be helpful to us seasoned saints as well. Love it. Well, my name is Ryan. And my name is Brian. Join us next time for more scripture and plain reason. God's word is true and God's word is clear.